Welcome to another episode of The Zag. My name is Eric Desaub. Here today, you'll get to hear from one of our favorite NLC fellows, 2012 fellow Travis Centel, who lives one of the more interesting, weird lives that I know of in LA. And we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about what it's like to know someone for 20 years. I've known Travis a long time. And we'll also talk about some other things related to social media and some of Travis's weird habits. But let's do it. You're listening to The Zag. Travis, how are you? I'm well. That is a really aggressively rocking intro you've chosen for this progressive talk show. Probably listened to 300 some odd different loops trying to figure stuff out. That was the first one I listened to, though, so I just went back to that one. It, it would have been infinitely cooler if you hadn't said that. I, w- I wish it was like, I knew exactly the song that was going to be. It's the most rocking progressive me. song I know. Very fair. I feel like there should be a Netflix show about someone who just makes loops for podcasts because there were so you could really see people who are putting a lot of thought into it, like the artists that you could research. And this person is, you know, Afrofunk jazz. I would watch a that. Netflix show about about people making music for podcasts. This addresses the narrative problems progressive movement has, Eric. I think very, very clearly. <laughs> well, it could be very I diverse. Think- it could be very, it could be very, very cultural. I think there's a lot to be said here. Diversity is not storytelling, Eric. Listen, I just feel I just feel like we should we should talk about what's interesting to watch on Netflix. Um, uh, Ozark, BTW is very good. Um, but but yeah, I like the music. Is all I'm trying to say. I think it's great. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, before we get into things, I want to ask: Did you get kicked off Instagram? I didn't get kicked off Instagram. I took a I'm, I'm rotating social media breaks right now. So uh, I'm inspired by the idea of trying. I've downloaded this app called Freedom on my phone and my computer that kicks you off the internet for specified periods of time. Huh. Um, and I, uh, I got off Instagram the way I became a vegetarian, which was, uh, I, tr- I thought I'd try it for two weeks when I was 16. And if it was hard, I'd probably stop. And if I liked it, I'd keep going. And I haven't stopped being a vegetarian for X number of years. Uh, and right now, I'm, I'm quite comfortable not being on Insta- Instagram. But I will come back to it, I think. But what about all your fans who were very comfortable with you being on Instagram? <laughs> well, you and my mom send me enough personal messages. Well, there, no, there's like three, four thousand people. Like you, you really had a good thing going there. People were very excited with your travel adventures and the other weird things you put up there. Yeah, I do. I do think that there's something to be said for Instagram. It, listen, if social media has a positive impact on your life that you feel is productive for the world or for yourself, I think cool. Um, and Instagram was making me look at the world a little better in certain ways. I, I, I started looking for things to take pictures of. I would go to things I maybe wouldn't have gone to because I thought it might be a fun thing to share. Uh, so it was having having positive impacts on my life. But right now I'm in sort of a writing phase where I'm trying to create some things and, and buckle down. And so the idea of looking for photographs, looking for adventures was counterproductive to the specific goals I had for this year. So I'm trying to pull it back a little bit. But but I have I will say I have a backlog of things I'm going to come back with and and uh, and post beautiful pictures at Travis Centel. You need to you need to give the people what they want. I'm tired. I don't really care about your right, feelings sorry. and your I'm writing sorry. abilities. I do want to hear about what you're writing, but before that, I think one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, I've enjoyed your Facebook social media musings, but specifically in the last couple of weeks, I've noticed you talking more about uh, friends and families who live in red states. You grew up in Louisiana, unfortunately, but you still have folks around there. What's that? What's your approach when it comes to social media, especially Facebook discussions when people are posting fake news or saying what you seem to feel are crazy things? It's really challenging. 
uh, is where I'm at right now. I find that it's very, very hard to maintain your sort of equanimity and, and balance in these conversations. Um, I, ha- I will say, uh, he's right, I'm from Louisiana. I would say the vast majority of my family is deep red state, and not just deep red state, but aggressively, hashtag MAGA. Um, my aunt and uncle uh, attended, went all the way to D.C. for the Trump inauguration. They're very committed to the, the movement, such as it is. And um, discussing with them has proved increasingly problematic in ways it didn't used to to manifest. Uh, you know, two, three years ago, we could respectfully disagree. I would say, hey, you posted this thing. Can we talk about it? Or here's here's some evidence to the contrary. And it would not be a production. Sorry, wrong button. That's so rock and roll. <laughs> I wonder if there's a trigger word I said that actually made that happen. MAGA. MAGA. Keep going, Travis. MAGA. Sorry. Um, uh, so there was productive conversations happening along the way, but the last year or so, maybe 18 months, has been extremely difficult. And I pride myself to a certain degree on keeping um, Republicans and Trump supporters, uh, I, I draw a distinction there, libertarians, progressives, um, in my feed. And I do my best to be honest when I mess up and say, hey, I posted this thing. It wasn't entirely fact-checked. Or you know, I'm going to leave this up to, to show you guys that I'll put an edit saying I messed this up. Um, and then and try to create as much intellectual, kind, helpful discourse as I can. And that's been productive to a certain degree, but it has really kind of gone off the rails in the last six months, I'd say. Uh, certain family members I won't name here in public have gone kind of full on racist in certain ways that they, they used to sort of not think that or would suppress it. I'm not sure which one. Um I've had to sidebar a lot of conversations. So one of my things I, I'll do on, on social media is if I get into a conflagration with somebody online and it starts to blow up, I will sidebar them almost always on Messenger or on text or a phone call and say, hey, are you cool with what's happening? I know that Facebook and social media is performative and we're both sort of taking a slightly larger than life character to make our points, but I'm trying to be genuine and honest. Are you feeling heard? Are you feeling like respected in the conversation? And what can I do to keep you around to, to keep this conversation fair? Um, that's something I've done for a long time and I encourage everyone to do that, uh, if you can, to keep the conversations fair and kind and human first and foremost. But, uh, those sidebars have become inflammatory recently. Uh, and I had my first unfriending of a family member recently, uh, last week, actually. Um, it just got too much to handle, I think. And, um, too far out of the way, started posting like some really personal attacks on my family and myself. And I, and I called him, I didn't unfriend him. I called him and said, Hey, I don't appreciate this, what you said. I think it's best if we don't continue as friends on Facebook, but my door is always open and my phone's always on. And he was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Fine. Um, right. So it's been, been, it's been hard. Well, so, yeah, so you feel like the change in the six months, is that something you attribute to people who are just really diving deeper into the propaganda? Or like you said, is it maybe these feelings always existed? This is a safer space? Or do you feel like maybe a third option could be folks are kind of in the last throes of this and have a sense that this is something, this is like the end of the, the, the line of the rope and they can feel some of the national consciousness changing and really calling out some of these things that they may have held on to. So they're punching back harder than they might otherwise. I hope it's the latter. I think it's the enfranchisement of disinformation is really what I think it is. I, I think that, you know, the, the, Cigarette factories um, back in the '60s said, "Well, we can't compete. We can't compete with the science. Science is pretty airtight. What we can do is com- introduce competing information, alternate facts into the argument, and let people who want to believe the things they want to believe give them evidence to believe it, and then they'll go away or have something." 
Facebook didn't exist then, or it would have been the same situation as now, I suspect. But now they have this term fake news that just, you know, they can use, they can levy that insult whenever they want. So if you spend an hour collating all these um, peer reviewed studies and say, here's why I came to this conclusion, um, are, are there any parts of this you disagree with? They will then just say, oh, that's fake news. It comes from X, Y, and Z websites. And that's it. And that's, that's the end of the conversation. And it's, I honestly don't think it's a tactic. I think they honestly believe it. And that's very, very challenging. And I, and I don't think it gets better. And I don't think it's the last dying gasp of a movement, which is what I thought for a long time. I think it's the first breath of a new movement. And that makes me a lot more nervous. So then would you see a better future for progressives trying to activate a new base, an entirely new set of people, or turn out their bases in ways they haven't before, as opposed to trying to convince anyone or change anybody's mind? You know, I, I, I wrestle with this, with the progressive movement. I, m- my perfect world is this. My perfect world is that we become the party and the movement um, of, of evidence-based facts and scientific reasoning. And to do that, we have to be better than we are because we have to reattach the social stigma to being wrong and have people say, you know what? I didn't fact check that I'm wrong. Sorry, guys. I know we try to maintain truth and honesty in our relationships. And we should equate misinformation to lying to your friends. I really think that's, that's how strongly we should take it. And the problem, I think, in the progressive movement sometimes is that not all of us, but we certainly have our branch of people who are as bad at facts as the right, possibly. And I think we're hesitant to address them or engage them because we think, well, the ends justify the means. I don't want to get into this person. They're my ally in a larger movement. And I think that's all fair and true. But I think if we can be better about being the party of truth, facts, and progressive, like true progressive intellectual values, I think we'll get ourselves a lot farther in the long run. Um, and so that's something I'm kind of struggling with with my left friends and my right friends and my centrist friends that let's all agree on a set of facts first, because I do honestly believe that facts favor the liberal mindset. Um, with the Al Gore quote, the uh, reality has a well-known liberal bias. I, I believe that. Um, so if we can get our facts straight and get, get the conversation on the ground we want it to be on, I think we'll fare a lot better than we're faring right now. Do you think we could jump to that idea you just laid out or would it make sense for us to copy the conservative movement tactics that are very anti-facts, get power back, try to reorient the country to goodness, and then get to that place you just mentioned where facts are lifted up in the way that people would hold them sacrosanct? The, the problem is, is that we are an ideology-based movement, and they seem to be a tactical-based movement. And there's a few ideologues on the right, like your Paul Ryans, who just think, you know, giving money back to the wealthy is an ideological crusade that he has for whatever reason. But I, I do think that when we start to play the game of the right, and we've seen this, we have a, you know, a 20 or 30 year, they have a 20 or 30 year head start on us in this thing. And so when we start to try to play the game by the rules they've set, we're not good at it. We don't win those games. Um, and I think that by adhering to the ideals that we really believe in, like, hey, we believe in honesty. We believe in kindness, support, we, ide- we believe in the idea that all humans are human beings. Like those things are very hard to combat because they're obviously universally true. And if we put the right wing in the position of having to either disagree with that, those things, or having to ignore them, I think it's a good thing. I, I don't like the idea of engaging false narratives for political points. I don't think it, even if it suits us in the short term, I think it really damages us in the long term. Mm-hmm. What do you well, think? When we what come back, Travis will. Uh, wait, wait, I'm wait, tell wait, you. wait, wait, before when, you go to commercial. When we come back, I'm going to tell you. It's called the tease after the break. Travis will tell us what he's working on. I'll answer his questions. 
and he'll tell us if he thinks The Rock can win the presidency in the 2020. Yeah, so what do you think? So if The Rock runs in 2020 and he's running Bernie's platform, do you think he'd win and would you vote for him? How dare you dodge this question that I asked prior to the break? How dare oh, you? Go back to our oh, fine. Go back. Okay. Tell me, tell me your question again. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, you're, you're more of a tactician than I am. Uh, you know, I, you're I, in the trenches more, I think, than me. Do you think it's smart to um, play tactics or do you think it's smarter to just adhere to real I think getting, getting power back is the most important. And if you have to compromise some of the longer term goals for some short term power grabs to reorient and stop the bleeding. I think it's worth it. Um, even if it's just to drag the center back a little bit from where it is now, because I think that's the other reality of the last 20 years or so, uh, pretty much every political level from local to, to federal, the center keeps moving further and further right. And I think it's a reluctance by progressives to, to dig deeper into their progressive beliefs and to be tactical. So I think, yeah, some short-term damage control to stop the bleeding uh, is is worth it if it comes at, even if it comes at the expense of some of the longer term things that I think would make sense as long as it doesn't s- contradict our ideologies like I think we should listen to George Lakoff we could we should use our framing devices we should use our narrative storytelling abilities we should do all the things that we've been told to do that we're not doing we should look read Dark Money and by Jane Mayer and look at how the they've set up this thing over the course of thirty years I agree with all of that I just don't think we should engage fake narratives to to increase political points even if they're effective I don't we have to be careful about which tactics we embrace or we lose our ideological moral high ground. And I think that's super dangerous going forward. Yeah. Well, you know, who can save us from danger is Dwayne the, the Rock. Rock Johnson. So yeah, back to my question. <laughs> if he was running Sorry, Bernie's okay. platform, would you, would, you, would you vote for him? Man. <laughs> um, who's his running mate in this hypothetical, just so I know? Ooh, uh, let's say Eric. Eric Garcetti. Oh, I like Gar- Well, Garcetti could reign in The Rock, I think. Um, I, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This is an answer I didn't expect to give. I would consider it, which I think is a bold <laughs> statement. Yeah. Do you feel like you have any other real politician 2020 leanings right now, or you want to see how it all plays out? I kind of want to see how that plays out. I think we have a lot of people in the, in the, in the mix right now. I do like Garcetti. I think he's probably going to throw his hat in. Um, I, I, I wish we, I wish, I don't know if it's Kamala Harris or who, but I, I, it would be so nice to run a, a female head of ticket for 2020, just to sort of make up for some of the egregious harms done to our country in the last go around. Yeah, but uh, tell me what you're working on these days, writing, you mentioned, are you doing screenplays or are you doing books? What's the latest? Yeah, a little of everything just on the, the personal side. I, I have a show coming out on Amazon in probably December or January. I'm not sure when our particular air date is, but my writing partner and I wrote an episode of a show called Electric Dreams, which is a Black Mirror style look at Philip K. Dick's work, the science fiction author Philip K. Dick of Blade Runner, Minority Report, Total Recall fame. Um, It's all standalone one-hour episodes, all world-building, sci-fi, big ideas, all all adapted from Philip K. Dick's short stories. So uh, we took one of the Philip K. Dick short stories and and adapted it. Does each one have its own kind of showrunner producer or is it helmed by one person and then each episode's farmed out to different directors and such fantastic question uh the answer is both of those every episode has its own set of writers its own director and its own cast um five were shot in chicago five were shot in london and there is ostensibly a production team at the center of this and sort of a ostensible showrunner 
um, working. Um, it's been a really great process. It's been really fluid and smooth and fun. And the cast is awesome. It's, you know, got Terrence Howard and Anna Paquin and, and Steve Buscemi and uh, Brian Cranston's in one. It's a really uh, eclectic mix of ideas mashed into one show. So hopefully it comes out good. And then when you're interacting with folks in the entertainment industry and, and these writers or people working on these shows, like what is your take on how they view the political landscape or how does that inform what they're trying to get greenlit or what they're, what they're trying to write? That's a good question. I, I know that especially in the agencies, they take it very seriously. A lot of them are feeling personally responsible for the, the 2016 elections, um, aren't feeling good about their part in it, their role in it and how seriously they took it. They also in, in Hollywood obviously take a little responsibility for the creation of Donald Trump as a mythos. Um, that was a, a money grab, I think, for reality television that that they edited certain things together to make him look like a person he wasn't that had an inarguable effect on his uh, presidential campaign. Um, so I think there is some sense of seriousness about the political engagement from from Hollywood. But I, I don't think that's that's at all influencing what shows get greenlit. I think that's ultimately a, a market decision. And, you know, that's a monetary thing. But um, but they are talking a lot about it from from what I hear. Yeah. And then because you're, you're in it, what's your best guess on where things look three, four or five years from now in terms of the platforms that we're watching shows on? Is it 100% going to be streaming, cable is going to fall away, or do you feel like it ends up just being cable reconfigured and we're just paying for a bunch of services instead of paying for cable as a bundle? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, man, what a question. I, I think that that people are trying to move theatrical experiences in VR into the home right now. And I think that's going to dramatically impact how we watch things. I have this latent hope in my body that humans are naturally herd animals and we like seeing things with other people. We like theatrical experiences. We like plays. We like going to see things at a theater. So I hope in some aspect that that uh, maintains. But a lot of the VR experiences I've seen drafted have everybody going into a theater and wearing these isolation goggles <laughs> that, that kind of negates the experience of the crowd. So I, I, I in, in response to your Overall question, I do think that there will be um, just a straight up streaming platform with three or four major competitors in it um, that are just have all inclusive stuff. I think the TV networks and stations will kind of fade away and you'll see some some media giants, whether whether Apple gets in that space or not. They're trying to. But I think Amazon, um, Netflix, Apple and maybe Google will, will be major players in the media space going forward. And then you've been pitching shows to people for, for a while now. How have your actual pitches changed knowing that streaming means shorter episode series runs and those kind of things. It has changed in terms of what we're willing to pitch in terms of what we think is viable. Um, mm. I would also say just in terms of content, it's become extraordinarily hard to pitch dystopian futures because things, things that felt things that felt um, really out of bounds a year ago have already happened now. And it's it's very hard to come up with dystopian ideas that that feel relevant or are are sort of far enough away to be interesting. It's very depressing. Like Handmaid's Tale is awesome, but there's a certain depressing element to it where you don't want sci-fi to just be a, a really stark direct commentary on society, but you want it to feel like a little aspirational, maybe. So it, the content's changed a little bit. You know, what I watched on Netflix um, was the first season of The Good Place. Did you watch that at all? I haven't seen it. I think you would enjoy it because it's a good 22-minute NBC sitcom feel for something that um, has a little bit of dystopian future to it. But I think you would enjoy it. And it's got a nice 
colorful, diverse cast, which I appreciate. Yeah, I'll check it. I um, I'm, I'm on a thing now where I'm just trying to binge one show at a time, which I know is what everyone does. And don't act like it's your, it's a new thing, Travis. But I have I have come on board with the binging experience, and I am I am full steam ahead, going through one show at a time, and it's been good. So I will make that the next one in honor of you and your progressive rock sensibilities. I really appreciate that. Hey, last thing, um, as I alluded to in the intro, I'm pretty sure we met each other approximately this month, 20 some odd years ago, right? We both went to college together, started 97. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. You're not Because We we became friends a little bit later in college, but we probably met each other at about this time. What do you remember about your, your freshman year of college? I am reeling from this revelation right now. (laughs) Really? 20 years ago. Yeah, that's right. I would have met you about 20 years ago. I loved college. I thought it was fantastic. It was great. I love the dorm experience. I love meeting everybody. Um, I will say for listeners, you'll probably cut this, Eric, but the first time I met Eric, he showed up shirtless to an RA meeting um, that I was having with him. The first time we sort of directly met, I knew who he was. Um, from his lines in the sand column for the wheel that he wrote, very serious picture. And I think you had a puka shell necklace on in that photograph or something very similar to that. Um, no, I, 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 I thought college was awesome. I, I, do, I miss the times of um, free inquiry for the sake of, of inquiry. And I, th- I think that was a nice time. I wish we could get back to that. I have a sister who's 19, is at Vanderbilt uh, in her sophomore year. And watching her come back every day with a new mind-blowing idea she's discovered from Hegel or Kant or something is awesome and so fun. And I, I do wish that we did more generalized learning just in the humanities as a culture because I think that would support our political platforms. I think novels and books and storytelling really support the progressive agenda. And I wish we had spent more time creating empathy in others and creating kindness in others because kindness and empathy lead to progressive platforms. And, you know, they say travel kills bigotry. You can't hate what you know. Books and TV shows give you a chance to step in the su- inside the heads of other people. And, and I wish that we did more generalized humanities studies in, in the progressive movement. Yeah, good advice. Uh, people can still find you at travisintel.com, right? Travisintel.com, uh, at travisintel, T-R-A-V-I-S-S-E-N-T-E-L-L at Instagram and Twitter. Instagram will be coming shortly. Uh, do not worry. <laughs> Travis, thanks for joining us, and thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Zag. Remember, you can find all episodes at la.newleaderscouncil.org. Thanks for supporting this podcast. Thanks for supporting the progressive movement through NLC. We'll talk to you soon.